Hi, I'm Dori Shafrier. And I'm Kate Spencer. And we are the hosts of Forever 35. And today, we're talking about Club Med, the best all-inclusive getaway for families. Today, Club Med has nearly 70 resorts worldwide, from beachside resorts in the Caribbean and Mexico, to magical locations in the Maldives and Morocco, to ski resorts in the mountains from Canada to the Alps. Between their all-inclusive family programming, wellness offerings, land and water sports, and their French heritage-inspired food and drink offerings, Club Med is the best way to elevate your family getaway, no matter which location you're at. To learn more, visit clubmed.us. So the Washington Redskins and the Cleveland Indians may have new names soon. I'll give you some of my insights, having played for a couple of schools that have dealt with these issues. And the NHL is finalizing details of their protocols, as well as a possible CBA extension. Both have to be decided on still by players. Camps open July 13th, and teams will arrive at their hubs in Toronto and Edmonton on July 26th. But some daunting news in sports on the coronavirus front, the Milwaukee Bucks are the latest team to shut down facilities following some COVID-19 positive tests. First group of NBA teams scheduled to report to Orlando on Tuesday. And FC Dallas, the MLS, has been quarantined for six days in their hotels following positive tests. David Price, well, he opted out for the 2020 season, among some other players. We've got all that and more on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick, Busy weekend in sports, lots to talk about since we left you uh, on Friday, I guess, with some of our war stories, myself and Tom Jones and Steve talking about our travel travails, and uh, got a lot of feedback from that, Steve. I guess uh, people enjoyed hearing hearing about some of those trips, and we appreciate uh, we appreciate the feedback. You guys can do that anytime. Let us know what you like about this podcast, what you'd like to hear more of. Certainly Tom Jones. <laughs> We'd like to hear more of him. Um, kind of a campaign I got going on right now, but hey. Um, we're here to serve you. So, uh, yeah, that was fun. That was a fun show. Yeah, okay. those, those, uh, are, those are fun shows that it, that hour goes by like that. It doesn't even feel it, like it. Oh, yeah. It just hums. And, I, and the funny thing is when we got done, I thought of about like five more. So we have to do part two one day because some of these, of course, we can't really air because they're just they're, they're too – they're not rated PG thirteen, which is what we want. But we've been we've been around the world together and and separately, and that was cool. Is that um, he'd been in a lot of places, Russia and various places like that, as have I. So that was that was a good time. Yeah, it's got to get some um, American cola. <laughs> yeah, dude, that was the best. <laughs> that by far was the best story because he had me at hello, and he, he took. He's a great storyteller. He takes you all the way through this thing where he's going into this. If you missed it, go back and listen to Friday's show. But he's going through and he's list. He's uh, you know just wanted. He's in Russia. He just wants. Really, he was a Dr. Pepper drinker. That's what Tom was, you know, virtually addicted to Dr. Pepper. I'd see him in the morning all the time with a Dr. Pepper. Uh, and uh, so he's over there, and he's like, hey, you got any uh, any American cola at all? Any American cola of some kind? And so the guy pointed to it, and there it was, written up, American cola. And so every day, he'd go to the same convenience mart in Russia. Ah, you're here for the American cola, you know, and so on and so forth. And um, I guess the last day... Um, you know, the guy says, you know, I guess, you know, we got just, you know, the American Cola or whatever. And Tom goes, yeah, I'm really glad you guys had that. You know, I'm kind of a, I'm a big, uh, big doctor. I don't know if you ever heard of Dr. Pepper drinker. I, I drink it. He pointed to it. He goes, oh, you got it right over there. <laughs> the whole week, he just wanted a Dr. Pepper. But he asked for American Cola, and that was the name of it. So he missed out on a week of Dr. He goes, why didn't you tell me so? He's, well, you, you asked, asked for, for American, American Cola. Cola. <laughs> I give you American Cola. 
crazy American. So, yeah. Um, let's see, some sad news. I guess uh, I think I wrote this Friday morning. Um, it happened on Wednesday. Gay Culverhouse, who was the daughter of Hugh Culverhouse, the first owner of the Tampa Bay Bucks. He got the expansion team in 74. They began, began play in 1976. Um, his daughter uh, was an educator. Uh, she had a, a doctorate's degree. She taught at USF. I guess her she specialized on uh, mental retardation, things like that. But but she actually got sort of sucked into the family business. She hadn't intended to do this. Um, but around sometime around the mid-'80s, um, Hugh Culverhouse convinced her, and she loved football, but he convinced her to uh, come aboard with the Bucks. And at that time, she was the vice president and treasurer was her title over there. And this is before I started covering the team a few years before. Um, and at that time, and even today for that matter, you know, there's just not a lot of female executives. I don't care if you're related to the owner or not. There's just not a lot of them in, in the NFL. And she was sort of a trailblazer in that respect. And then uh, she later was named team president. And she was there for about a decade. Um, and, you know, she had her trials as, as, as they did. The team was god-awful back in the day. And she left in 94 um, a year later, her father died of lung cancer, and the team was put into a charitable trust, and they operated it for a couple of years, and then it was sold eventually to the Glazers. Um, but she passed away uh, on Wednesday at her home. She had suffered from, uh, I guess, a form of leukemia for quite some time. She was 74 years old, uh, which is way too young. And um, what's even more incredible than, than uh, sort of her career is the fact that she became like 15 years later, she returned to the arena, so to speak. And she became a, a huge advocate, um, for players against the NFL, uh, for, uh, brain injuries. In fact, she, she started a, a fund that the NFL has adopted and, um, you know, it's, it's to help, uh, players that have undergone struggles related to concussions. Um, she was very adamant about how, you know, when, when her family owned the team, that team doctors, were operating in the best interest of the teams and not the players, and that these guys, you know, basically were having their brains scrambled. I think she was really impacted by Tom McHale, who was a guard for the Bucks, brilliant guy uh, from an Ivy League school. Cornell um, started a number of years for the Bucks, opened a restaurant, real uh, successful steak place in South Tampa, and um, he suffered from. A lot of head injuries and, um, you know, t- had to take um, you know, drugs and got CTE and things like that and wound up committing suicide. And there's been a number of suicides in the NFL as a result of that. And I think that one really touched touched off something for her. Um, of course, you know Scott Brantley very well and, and guys like that that have had memory loss and different things. So she testified before Congress. Um, like I said, she was an advocate. She put her money I think more than a million dollars into into this thing to get it going, and um, yeah, it's a it's a disappointing loss. I exchanged some some text messages, some emails, uh, whatnot, with uh, her brother um, Hugh Culverhouse Jr., who I knew going way back uh, when I first started covering the Bucks. He's an, he was a attorney in South Florida. Actually, represented years ago, represented the um, the first sports agents that were indicted under a new law for paying players and. Um, his two clients were accused of paying Vernon Maxwell, the star basketball player at the University of Florida under Norm Sloan. And boy, that, that thing got, got really bloody. And, and at the end of the day, um, Norm Sloan, after many stories that we wrote, uh, wound up resigning. And, um, and then, you know, 
they had a lot of trouble at the University of Florida those those days in the late eighties. But um, it was uh, it was it was very sad uh, because um, she did a lot of great things and she uh, she defied a lot of odds and and um, sort of um, as her brother said, you know, she was an individual. She uh, she kept going and um, you know nothing really slowed her down. So I just thought that um, you know I bring that up. Uh, in case you guys missed it on, uh, I guess it was in probably Saturday morning's paper uh, or Sunday mornings. I can't remember which, but uh, Gay Culverhouse, 74 years old, gone too soon. Okay, so we got lots to talk about. Where do you want to start, Steve? I mean, we'll get to all the COVID stuff. And, of course, we got NHL news coming up. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, uh, they're getting ready to go to camp on July 13th. The, the teams still have to ratify a lot of this stuff. I was going to say, let's start um, there. That's good news. That uh, hockey no, and, That is good news. Hockey yeah. and the Players Association on Sunday night have agreed to return to play protocols. Mm-hmm. Um, now, they're still working on a new collective bargaining agreement. That right. needs. They have to come to that agreement first before they're going to put everything to a vote by the NHL Board of Governors, who would need to pass it by a two-thirds majority or two-thirds. The players would have to then, a full league vote, uh, would have to pass it with a majority, 50% plus one, uh, in order for all this to happen. But the return-to-play protocols have been approved, uh, including things like uh, your families can come in for the conference finals and Stanley Cup finals into the bubble, uh, which is good news. So then at, at that point, you're away from your family, I think, five to six weeks at most. If you once you go into the bubble in the hub cities, or I think they're calling it the stage four or phase four secure zone or something like that, officially uh, in Edmonton and Toronto, it sounds like. Uh, right. But all good news that they've come up with the protocols and that um, things like you, you players can't leave the bubble without permission, and if they do, then your team could be fined and lose draft picks. Yep. Um, now you you know if you need to leave for a specific reason, or they've even said things like if you with your team playing a golf outing and you you know it's all secured and you you know work out the protocols and all that with the league, you can do that kind of stuff. But yeah, you can't just leave on your own. If you had a family emergency need to leave, you could you could come back in to the bubble, but you would need to go through some quarantining and testing and all that beforehand. You'll be tested every day there in the bubble. Um, all who are with the teams and that, including those who are working inside the bubble from, say, the hotels and, and those amenities too. So, uh, But good news in hockey, the collective bargaining agreement, which is supposed to go for six years, uh, that sounds like they're close to that. They would need to finalize that, and then the vote, like I said, will take place. Players can opt out of Phase 3 and 4, uh, just like every other league without penalty, but they need to let the league know by this Tuesday at 5 p.m., so it's a short window right now. Um, obviously, they want to get camps opening a week from today, uh, the 13th. So, um, yeah, they want those decisions pretty quickly because the teams have to kind of say who's going to come to the hub cities and the uh, to the secure zones or whatever they're calling it on this Thursday, the 9th. So they have to submit those rosters and players that are coming. So, But it sounds like good news for the NHL. Yeah, I mean, in as much as it, we, know, we now have dates, you know, what's, uh, what's happened here <laughs> – is you know some of these teams and leagues have been delayed. Of course, look, we're we're not ignoring the fact that the, we're having record numbers of, of testing and cases of positive mm-hmm. tests and 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 such. Um, and it's more than just the fact that there's a lot of tests. There's the the, the number of positive tests per people tested has gone up. Um, we know there's problems uh, in in the state over eleven thousand last couple of days. Um, you know certainly Texas uh, is is having issues with the number of beds that are available in ICU there, Arizona, California. So, I mean, there is no 
real light at the proverbial end of the uh, end of the tunnel here. Um, and you know, I, I think when you when, whether you're talking about baseball, you know, football looked like they were going to have at least the advantage of time, right? Well, guess what? They've they've run out of it too. And and because they thought they would have an, an opportunity to watch the NHL or watch baseball and learn from that, um, they weren't really being that committal or even, you know, necessarily. I mean, they began talks, but they they still haven't, uh, you know, proved any sort of formal protocols. Although some are now are starting to leak out, and the ones that I've read are interesting, but now football has lost its advantage of time. Um, everything's coming back at the same time. You know, if, if, you know, you just mentioned July 26th, uh, I, I think is when teams are supposed to go to Toronto and Edmonton. Well, July 28th is the start of the NFL training camp. So, and then some news on that, um, also was reported by the NFL network. And I think Miami Herald picked this up and, and that is that, uh, there's supposed to be three weeks of basically conditioning, um, not even so much as really practicing as much as just getting guys back into shape. Mm-hmm. The meetings that they're going to have, um, even though they will reassemble for those conditioning practices and such in groups that are separated. And we've talked about, you know, having to wear masks in the building and all those things. Um, those meetings are going to be done probably virtually. They're, they're going to try mm-hmm. as much as they can to keep from being together um, other than on the practice field in small groups as they need to. Uh, I've seen where eleven on eleven may not occur at all. Yeah, the players seem camp. to not want that, uh, including we didn't. Right. We haven't talked about the players are requesting no preseason games. No preseason games. We're down to two from the league. They've eliminated the first and final game of the preseason, and that, in part, is to allow for more time to to get into shape and that sort of thing in the beginning. Um, also, I think um, we'd be naive to not think that they want to see how many positive tests they have come back. Give those guys time. Um, to maybe be eligible to play or practice by the time they play a preseason game and then uh, wrap up the preseason quickly after that, uh, you know, after the third, what would be the third preseason game? Because if someone were to, again, test positive, you'd have two weeks before the start of the regular season if they had a quarantine. But all this is is just, you know, each league is kind of doing it different. We know the NBA is going to have their bubble at Disney. Um, The NFL, by the way, you know, typically they would stay in hotels, and I kind of thought maybe that would happen again. I thought, well, if you're going to do a bubble, training camp probably allows for that because even teams that practice in their own cities typically uh, put those guys in hotels, but they're actually not going to do that to to eliminate contact with other people, I suppose. Um, And and so those players will be tested frequently. And and some of the media things, I know people don't really care what our rules are, but it's going to be – very limited in terms of, of who can go watch practice, how many people. I think I've heard a total of 10, which if you you know take the five TV stations and AP, ESPN, the Tampa Bay Times, uh, you know, uh, athletic, you know, it, it gets to 10 pretty quickly. Um, and then everything we do will be much like the Rays right now are doing, mm-hmm. which will be setting up a, you know, a room where you talk to guys on Zoom. So, well, it's, it's going to be, be like, different. you know, like Mark Topkin and you talked about last week was, right. you know, the way cover, teams are covered and the amount mm-hmm. of information and how you get your information is cha- going to change. And you're yeah. not going to get as much from no. the players. And, you know, yes, the what happens on the field, yes, that part of it. But the news and notes sections and the stories and the, those kind of yeah. things are going to be very different. You're going to notice the coverage everywhere is different. It's not just in the Tampa Bay Times, but... 
just the way yeah. sports are, are going to be covered differently because of social distancing and the protocols they have to go through. So, yeah, well, you know, that's why we develop sources, <laughs> why we hope we can find other ways to get information. And, and we've done that throughout the off season, obviously the, the Tom Brady stories, uh, you know, that were broken where they were practicing, uh, where they were still practicing, even though the NFLPA said they should stop, um, you know, any number of things that we've written, but, um, but it, it will, it will, and, and, and probably has to be different. I know in, in our case, I think the writers of, that go to the TROP, and there's about 30 of them, the 30 media can go, they're temperature checked. I believe we're going to actually, I say we, the media and the NFL, will actually undergo COVID testing of some kind. Um, so it'll be a little more, uh, a little more extensive, but Hey, look, this is a, this is a brave new world here and you know, we don't exactly know what it's going to be, but you've seen some players and I think this is going to be the case in football too. I, I think it'll be the case. It's already been the case in basketball and baseball, a big name, one that we're very familiar with David price, his first year with the Los Angeles Dodgers has decided not to play. Uh, he's opting out for the 2020 season. Simple as that. Mm-hmm. Um, got have to assume that, uh, you know, he, and he has a, a very, a fairly large contract, so it would pay him. Obviously he's going to leave, walk away and leave quite a bit of money on the table. Cause I think he makes around 25 million a year or more, but, um, you know, he's not, not worth it to him. And, and, you know, um, the risk factors are involved. I know Mac, Mike Trout, who's expecting his wife's expecting their first child is, is working out, but still not committed. Doesn't know. Um, you know, he has some concerns about whether he should play and, this is going to be the case in football too. It's going to be the case in all the sports, obviously. But um, you know, until we see one of these come back and play, I mean, we obviously have the PGA and racing, and and you know, the Brickyard and stuff went on over the weekend. But um, team sports is a little bit different. Baseball is certainly different. Hockey, a little more contact. And when you get to football, it's contact on every play. So I have my doubts. And then we're not even talking about the college aspect of things, which is you know, just a whole new, uh, bag of problems, but, um, but they are going to, they are going to try it. You know, Sean, Sean Doolittle, uh, I don't know if you saw his interview with the Washington nationals. He was talking about this and it just, look, it, it, it it's sort of where they're coming from. And he just kind of put it out there. I thought very well and kind of bluntly is that, you know, when this whole thing started and everybody was sort of self quarantined or stay at home for nine weeks, the idea was that there would, there would be a flattening of the curve or, reduction in cases, you know, take any pressure there was off of hospitals. New York was a hotspot, different places. And that then sports would be allowed to come back. They would sort of be, it would sort of signal a return to normal. You know what I mean? Like that was going to be, I don't want to say the reward, but I mean, like any business reopening, that that was going to be um, sort of a sign that things were improving and that, um, you know, we were going to learn to live with this virus and uh, we were heading in the right direction. Clearly, you can't say that. And his point was, you know, we're moving forward as if, you know, everything is better when, in fact, things aren't as good as they should be or we hope they would be, if not in some places worse. And so, you know, you talk about fans. I mean, he doesn't know, you know, whether that's a good idea or not. But his point was sort of what are we doing, you know? And I I think a lot of players are nervous about it. I would be nervous about it. I'm nervous about it as a writer that's going to be in that, in that arena too, um, for my family, um, you know, for myself. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that, that go through your head, but um, it just doesn't, I think, you know, 
what's happening. They're affected. Everybody's affected by what's happening in the world and in the United States in particular in Florida if you're a Tampa Bay Ray. So things are not great here. <laughs> so, I mean, these guys are nervous, man. I get it. Well, yeah. I mean, they're balancing, uh, you know, for a player perspective, you're balancing your career. You're balancing right. the money that you're getting paid. Yep. And, and granted, to play sports, you get paid a lot of money, but your career is short. Yeah. You know, I mean, David Price, you know, and and that's fine. He made the decision, but he's made like $200 million in his career. It's a lot easier for him to make that choice. Absolutely. Than say younger players or guys just starting in their career. And you're not guaranteed to have a a long career or make the kind of money that David Price has made. Um, Yeah. You know, so you're balancing your career, your health, your Mm -hmm. love of the game. I mean, you know, these players, this is what they do. This is, this is, this is what they've done almost every day yeah. of their life for 10, 15 years at this point. I mean, this, right. they, they go to the rink and put on the skates and play hockey or or go to the cage yeah. and swing the bat every day or go to the gym right. and shoot hoops. I mean, this is what they do. This is yeah. this is what they know. This is what they love. And, and they're mm-hmm. balancing that with families and, and kids and wives and everything else, and, and, and but not wanting to let the team down too. You know, I mean, that's the right. other part of it too is it'll be interesting long term if – you know, and who knows what this is going to shake out like a year from now, two years from now, and, and, and all that. But will players be shunned for it? I mean, in that locker room culture. And, and, and I don't believe you should be, but, you know, if if the Dodgers come short of winning the World Series this year, what will his teammates think of David Price? And that's something to, ba- to balance, too, for some of these players, too. Well, and the other interesting thing about Price, even though he's established as a major leaguer, um, Look, he pitched in the American League. Uh, you know, he's going to a new team. He hasn't spent, except for the spring training that they had prior to the mm-hmm. shutdown, he has not spent a lot of time with his new teammates. He has no equity with Dodger fans. And so, you know, right off the bat, um, and I think fans have to recognize that these guys are individuals and have the right to make their own decisions, as we all do. Um, but he doesn't have the equity with that team. Mm-hmm. He has it in the majors, um, and he's an older player himself. But you're right. When you've made $200 million, it's a lot easier. And I would say this about football, maybe more so than any sport, Steve. And the NFL knows this, and and I'm sorry, but it's going to be leverage um, against all those players, stated or unstated, and that is this. There's about 3 million other guys ready to take your jobs. Mm-hmm. You know How many of these spring leagues have we seen, Right. Um, how many guys that are in the NFL on practice squads every year that are just itching for a chance? If it, you talk about short careers, I mean, the average less than four four years for a career in the NFL. Um, you know, are are you really confident enough? I mean, how big of a talent would you have to be to say, yeah, I just don't feel comfortable? And I'm not. I would not blame anybody for doing mm-hmm. so because, as we said before, I think there's a lot of guys. They're going to be at risk in the National Football League, particularly with just the nature of the sport. Um, but but believe me, the NFL has the ability to say, we're moving forward. We don't care. You want out? That's fine. Game's on Sunday. And the big question, the big litmus test for all these sports are going to be, what are, and I've been saying this over and over, but what are we willing as a society, as a league, as fans, what are we willing to accept as the price of having the National Football League or having Major League Baseball. Are we going to have a moment of silence for somebody who, God forbid, gets is compromised, gets sick, gets on a ventilator or worse, and dies, and we're going to have moments of silence in stadiums? I don't know that we have an appetite for that. And that's what you know, still remains to be seen. But you're talking about a lot of people, not just players, but coaches, officials, 
um, you know, people uh, with around the organization, trainers, you name it. And, um, you know, the math would tell us, history would tell us with this virus that people will get sick and somebody, maybe not many, God forbid any, but somebody could get very ill. And I just don't know how this is going to go. But, you know, it seems as though the NFL at least knows that you will find no shortage of players who are willing to jump in and take that next rep. I mean, that, that's what the nature of football more than any sport. I know everybody gets their opportunities in sports the same way. They usually, you know, it's because of production or somebody's lack of production or an injury that you get on the field. No, nowhere else more so than, than the NFL. Actually, it starts at the youth league level. You know, if you get hurt and can't take a rep, guess what? It's the next man up, and if he does a better job, doesn't mean you're getting your job back. You do lose your job because of injury in the NFL. And the same thing would be true if you decide I'm not playing because I don't, you know, I'm, I, I don't want to subject myself to maybe getting coronavirus. So those are all, all things that are, are going to be a little bit different in each sport. And um, it remains to be seen how it's all going to work out. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash post. All right, so uh, let, let's uh, discuss this topic. And literally, I think when Tom and I were doing radio, Steve, I, I, I want to say there was probably about two years where we did shows on this because it got hot for a while and then it simmered down. Um, but obviously in this uh, era of uh, you know social injustice and, and the marches and the awareness um, and everything that's going on in terms of uh, division and racial division and, and uh, discrimination, all those things, um, there has been uh, more discussion and more light shined um, on the Washington Redskins because of that name. And th- this is not a new thing, as we know. This has come up for many, many years, and it uh, probably probably has more momentum now um, for a change than it ever has with uh, their owner, Dan Snyder, who now says they're going to, what, what was his term, we're going to study the issue or we are evaluating, however they want to say it, and, uh, and this also may be true with the Cleveland Indians. And both Ron Rivera, the head coach of the Washington Redskins, right, and mm-hmm. the Indians manager, Terry Francona, yep. both spoke out and said, I think it's time. Yeah, I think uh, Francona's tweet was something – or said it's kind of like it's you know time to move forward. And, and Rivera mm-hmm. said it would be great if we had a change by the time the season started. Now, I right. highly doubt that can happen. But we know mm-hmm. it takes over a year just to design NFL uniforms. So how would you, right. how would you do that? But – um, yeah, both of, you know, when, when, look, if both coaches or managers are saying it's time, that means the organization's already there. I would imagine. If, I mean, they if could not, be... you have a dysfunctional organization. <laughs> yeah. You might want to check with your owner first. Um, and look, Snyder has resisted this, but he's lost some of his loudest advocates in, within the organization, like Bruce Allen, who is no longer the team president and whose father, George Allen, you know, coached the Redskins. And I get it, you know, for the fans, who aren't offended, that's great. Uh, chances are you're also not a Native American. <laughs> I'm just guessing. And there may be many Native Americans who aren't offended either. I don't speak for any or all of them, certainly, and no one person can. But 
Um, that aside, I mean, you have the, you know, the hail to the Redskins and, and all of that. Um, but Redskins is by almost any definition, a, uh, racist term. Um, and you know, it's, uh, it's not flattering to, to, uh, uh, you know, native Americans. And, uh, for that matter, I know, you know, the Cleveland Indians went through a thing where they had, um, what Wahoo, uh, Chief Wahoo, yep, Chief Wahoo. They've eliminated Chief Wahoo from their marketing yeah. in uniforms. Right. And he was smiling, sort of, you know, not so flattering Indian. I mean, you got, you know, the Bra- the Braves are another one that, that may face this as well. Um, well the Chiefs, we don't know. I mean, you've I, got the Blackhawks. Chiefs, you've yeah. got, there's, there's a lot more in sports. Yeah. And that's just, look, that's, that's the time we live in. Um, and there seems to be uh, a little money behind this one because I think you saw that FedEx, which has the naming rights to the stadium, and uh, you know, one of their executives is a part owner of the Washington Redskins. The founder, Fred Smith. Will, yeah, Fred the, Smith, yeah. who's he, the founder will, of FedEx. Yeah, and they will pull out of that deal and uh, probably part of the ownership. And there's several um, minority owners that are talking about uh, leaving the franchise or selling their, their uh, shares of the franchise if they don't change. So I think there's going to be real change. I also think that we're naive to believe that this, this has not, because it's been an issue in the past, that the Redskins haven't um, gone ahead. The Washington Fall Team has not gone ahead and and done, you know, whether that whether it's uh, you know mock-ups of potential names, um, you know, whether they've done they sampled opinions from people, focus groups. I don't know. I don't know how much how far down the line they may be with a bunch of ideas in a drawer. But I would be I would imagine this will not be the first time that they've tried to tackle this this attempt. Yeah, no, I've got to imagine that at least internally they've they've bantered this around for years. I, the Indians as well, especially when you know a few years ago you decided to remove Chief Wahoo, you probably knew at some point you were going to end up changing the name or better start preparing for that or planning for it. So I, yeah, I have to imagine that that you know internally they've done some of this now whether they're they're happy with any of the the ideas or close to being able to execute any of them, you know, whether they have logos and designs and things like that, you know, who knows? Um, you know, I guess we'll find out over time or, you know, how quickly these things move on these organizations. But um, I yeah. would imagine it's been, it's been talked about internally before. Yes. And, and look for other reasons and not all of them, you know, the similar, but there, there have been six teams in the last 25 years, um, pro team to switch their name, uh, without moving to another location, including right there in Washington, D.C. Remember the Bullets mm-hmm. of the NBA for years and years, the Washington Bullets. Wes Unseld and you know, uh, story teams, champion teams, became uh, the Washington Riz- Wizards you know, with all the murders that happened in Washington, D.C. Um, you know, the term Bullets wasn't exactly um, something that was uh, uh, welcomed anymore. Uh, and I thought they did a really good rebranding, you know, uh, when Abe uh, Pollen decided to change the name back in 95 and because uh, it was associated with, you know, violent uh, rising crimes and things like that. We know that Tennessee, uh, when uh, they went from being the Oilers, when they moved well, from Houston to the Some Titans. of that, they'll say it wasn't when the team moved because they were the Oilers for a year or two in Tennessee, but technically that was because of a right. move. I mean, some, of, some of those... Of move, but ten, yeah, some yeah. of those they changed. Like, you know, it didn't happen immediately with the move, but they did change it yeah. after they moved. 
And these these have been small changes. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, when you change the name of uh, Devil Rays to Rays, we know that branding mm-hmm. that's happened here. Anaheim Ducks, they were the Mighty Ducks originally. New Orleans Hornets then became the New Orleans Pelicans. Um, Charlotte Bobcats, now the Charlotte Hornets. I mean, there's different things that have that have changed around, but um, but but for this reason, you see it more. You've seen it throughout college college football. In fact, I went to Arkansas State. Uh, you know, and it was, uh, you know, it was in the, the mid eighties or whatever, but they, for years and years, of course, from their inception, they were the Indians. I played for the Arkansas state Indians shortly after I left. Um, and it was actually, well, it was a while after I left. It's probably more than a decade or so, um, because of these sort of, uh, issues that have cropped up from time to time. And, and Arkansas state's not the only one, but, um, they changed their name and had a rebranding campaign to the Red Wolves, which, by the way, is one that's mentioned with the Redskins, is changing it from the Washington Redskins to the Washington Red Wolves, mm-hmm. which would be interesting. Yeah, I remember when Miami University in Ohio switched from the Redskins to the Red Hawks. I was in Cincinnati at that yes. point. So, yes. You know, that's another one that switched from that name. And I know it's small potatoes compared to the National Football League team, but the, it was a terrific and just a, a great rebranding uh, in, at Arkansas State. Going back even further than that, and I know we have, um, you know, along these lines of, uh, of all the social awareness that's going on right now, you know, the state of Mississippi has taken the last state in the union to take off uh, the stars and bars that are part of their state flag. That was voted out, and, and that brings up, you know, uh, and you get this uh, at Old Miss um, and other places. I, went to, I played at a high school, uh, Dixie Hollins High School, named after an administrator. Uh, an educator, Dixie Hollins, is named Dixie. They named, they named the school the Dixie Hollins Rebels. Dixie Rebels, I get it. Um, and back in the day, uh, way before I went to school there, uh, my parents were active in the booster club. My dad was a baseball coach and, and had a lot of players that uh, went to high school and played football there, and we would go to games. And as a kid, growing up as a white guy in you know northwest St. Petersburg, I didn't know anything about the history of, you know, civil rights and the struggle or let, let alone the, con, you know, the, the Confederate war all that much, although I was probably old enough to know better. But when you would go to that school, there would be rebel flags everywhere. It was like pr- a pride thing. That's how I accepted it is that, you know, Dixie was playing, the stands are full and everybody had a rebel flag. What other school could boost or boast something like that? And when the band came in playing the battle hymn of the Republic, um, you know, what I wish I wore in the land cotton and all that stuff. Everybody stood and clapped and went crazy. And the uniforms uh, for the football team had the stars and bars on the damn shoulder pads. Well, all that went away and should have. And um, they're still the Rebels, and that can be debated. Um, but nonetheless, uh, you don't see the Rebel flags. That's, that was banned. And it was, you know, in the, in the late 70s or mid-70s, whenever this happened with integration, when that occurred, um, it changed everything. And, and rightfully so, because... You know, no white guy in, in uh, Pinellas Park is going to be offended uh, necessarily by a Confederate flag, but African-Americans had every right to be. And uh, when they went to school there, it became a national story. I think Dan Rather was reporting it uh, at times, and people driving up and down the street, hell no, flag won't go. It was, a, it was an awful time, um, but one that uh, you know, needed to take place, and it did. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I think that's the time we live in you know, has come back around. And, and only this time, I think there's plenty of momentum. You've seen the marches in the street. And um, I think they probably will have a change with the Redskins. Um, you, you, you know, you're like I said, in Mississippi, 
Um, they're, they're threatening to lose a lot of tournaments in the NCAA, NCAA events because of that flag, and they changed it. So I'll say this. When they're picking a nickname, pick an animal because they, they rarely are vocal uh, protesters of any kind, and there's, there's no shortage of uh, – although, although pick smartly because even then – even then, you can offend people, uh, and perhaps rightfully so. But if you remember, and I didn't think it was a great name, but uh, the Tampa Bay Devil Rays became the, became the Rays, which is one of the greatest rebranding I think there's ever been, not just because of the uniform and the colors and, of course, Sun Rays and the, the ad- adaptation of that, but also uh, you know, the word devil offended people. Um, and so you know, a Devil Ray is a type of ray. They didn't want to be the Sting Rays. That was an interesting pursuit, too, because Major League Baseball – did not want them to pick not just uh, you know a moniker or a mascot that was not used in other sports or, or, or you know in baseball, but any league at all. And in fact, uh, they had looked at the Hawaiian Baseball League, which is like an independent league at the time, and they had uh, a team called the Stingrays. And I think you know I think Tampa Bay Stingrays they'd have been thrilled to have that name, but they decided to. It was already being used in some you know, relative or unknown league. And so they went with devil rays uh, and then they dropped that and they became the race. So even then you can have, uh, you can have adjustments, but uh, that time has come and uh, Daniel Snyder's under an awful lot of pressure. We'll see what he does with that. Um, but I think that um, I think for sure it's going to end up changed. And uh, I don't think it'll be necessarily this year. As you mentioned, those things don't be surprised if they have a number of ideas already and and you're right i think if ron rivera is going to speak out the way he did you know terry francona the way he did then they probably have a pretty good idea that that's changing all right so we have a uh, great week planned of course we're here every monday through friday tomorrow chris torello of spectrum sports 360 and bay news 9 will be aboard as he is uh, every other week or so maybe we might even get uh, tom jones back i think he's on vacation what else is he doing and of course We'll always have your uh, mailbag segments. You don't have to wait for us to call for that. You can reach us anytime if you have any questions at all that you would like us to answer. And yeah, sending your questions to us on Twitter at SportsDayTV. On Twitter at SportsDayTV. You can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud. Or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. For Steve Bursnick, I am Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. 